0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Hey, you know what? It's a new month. Is it? Yeah, it is. And I'm thinking to myself that we should probably have something like a month called Support Our Supporters. Support Our Supporters. Support Our Supporters. We've got some people who support our show. Yeah. And I want to show them some love. Okay. Yeah. So we've got someone who is regularly supporting our show, who's the industry buffered himself, mm-hmm. Jason Furman, mm-hmm. from... Ainswick Dog Quip. Ainswick Dog Quip. Ainswick. Yeah. I know you're a fan of Jason's equipment.
2: You know what? Sometimes I get these ideas in my head. Mm -hmm. Let's go with like Jason, I've got this idea for a tug and I want it to be this big and this round and made of leather. Yep. You got one? He goes, no, that doesn't exist, you idiot, but I can get it made. I go,
1: do it, sir. He's pretty good like that, the old Buffett, isn't he? Yeah. We should get
2: Teespring. The
1: Buffett. Teespring <laughs> spring merge mate. <laughs> Support the buffhead. Support the buff. Yeah. But we've got people in other parts of the world that are yeah, supporting Yeah, you know who's show. not a buffhead? Tell me. Maclepoint. Lepoint is French for Mark. for not a buffhead. Yeah, for not a buffhead. And he is from Canon Dynamics. Canine Dynamics in Canada. Yeah. Please don't slow this one down. <laughs> so if I were in North America, that's where I'd be getting my, yeah. my working dog equipment from. He's got a great array of gear as well. He does. Yeah. Yep. And he's a very generous guy. Yeah. Mm.
2: You know who else is a supporter of the show? That would have to be Kindred Canine. Mm. Mel Benware. Our good friend, Mel Benway. She has got to be one of the best travel to your home, train the dog in your home, dog trainers. Absolutely. In the area that she's in, which Richmond, is-
1: <laughs> Virginia. Or Ashland, Virginia. She <laughs> yeah. comes from Ashland, Virginia, but she services all the area around there. She's been a great support for the show and also a great support for the International Association of Canine Professionals. That's right. Who we are proud members of as well. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So if you're in Australia and you need dog equipment, mm-hmm. Jason Furman. Ainswick dog equipment. dog If you're in North America, you yep. need working dog equipment, Mark LaPointe. <laughs> <laughs> Canine Dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're in Ashland, Virginia, yep. or
1: Richmond, Virginia, yep, in that general area, yep. And you need pet dog training, Melanie Benway.
2: Melanie Benway,
1: Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Yep, that's it.
2: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And joining us all the way from Austin, Texas, everybody calm down. It's not Joe Rogan. (laughs) God damn it. It's Misha Balecki. Balecki, Balecki, Balecki.
0: Balecki? Close enough. A for effort.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I tried. I even rehearsed it and everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think you got into your own head. I think you rehearsed it too much.
2: Yeah, probably. Hey, Misha, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show, you guys. Oh, welcome. We miss you. Thanks for demanding to be on. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I did not demand anything. I just politely
2: asked. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, who are you? Tell us why, not like what we're going to talk about, but give us the rundown. What's going on? Who, yeah. how, who are you? <laughs> who Who the fuck am I? Well, my name's Misha. We got Thank that. you for coming to my TED Talk.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you like background stories, right? So I'll I'll take it from the top. Once upon a time, there was a girl who thought she wanted to go to business school because it was a sensible career, right? It was recession proof as my parents always taught me. Mm -hmm. My parents are engineers, so very practical people. So I went to college and I got an accounting degree because I felt like sales felt yucky and marketing was like just kind of vague and entrepreneurship What's the point of taking entrepreneurship classes if you're not an entrepreneur and don't have ideas, you know? Mm -hmm. So I did accounting because finance made me want to throw up. And I discovered after working in in it for a couple of years that I fucking hated it. I hated every second of it. Um, I was in in public accounting, which is essentially like you're either auditing companies or you're doing taxes for companies or really wealthy individuals or nonprofits, that sort of thing. And even though everybody told me, you have the personality for audit, I was like, fuck you guys, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going tax. And so I did taxes. Right. And um, like I said, discovered I hated it. And when I moved to Austin, I just kind of wanted a big change overall. I grew up in Houston, went to school there, all that stuff. And whenever I was looking for jobs, I was like, I knew I wanted something more creative. Uh, my husband was teaching me how to do Photoshop and all these other skills and i just didn't at the end of the day after a couple internships it was still sitting at a desk typing up prs or editing and editing and editing and editing visually and it just it gave me migraines it was awful so in the meantime while i was still looking for jobs and like applying to be like museum curator which i had zero experience in <laughs> 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 um, And, uh, you know, just, I was like a personal assistant to a guy who did real estate in Austin. I got fired after two days because to be perfectly honest, I sucked, but also his criteria kept changing. He would tell me how to do something and then it would change. And I was like, fuck you, dude, you can't move the goalposts like that.
3: Mm.
0: I cried like a baby, of course, because it was the first time I ever got fired. I had always quit all my jobs up until that point or there were internships that ended. I was like, mm, you know, I always wanted to work with dogs. I always begged my family to have dogs. And they were like, how about a cat? You know, and I was just kind of jealous of those people that grew up with dogs. So I decided Austin awesome Pets Alive is a really huge shelter. It's it's kind of world renowned. It's still one of the largest no kill cities in the United States. And uh I fell in love. I you could not get me to leave that place. It smelled like shit. The dogs were stressed out, but I just I was very, very drawn to the terrified dogs. And then I wanted to know more about how I could get into the kennels of the reactive dogs and how I could get into the kennels with the locks on them that had to have special permission for the behavior team. And I was like, you know what?
2: Did you say, hold on, sorry to derail you, but did you say that Austin is a no-kill city? Yes. So that's mandated. That's just not like all the shelters are sort of no-kill shelters and that's a choice because they're private or whatever. Like that's mandated by the city. You cannot euthanize a dog that doesn't have an owner. Is that the case?
0: I don't remember exactly how you get to no-kill status because I've been kind of out of the loop for a while, but essentially it's based on a live outcome rate from the shelters. So from this, it's not necessarily city-mandated. It's effectively, the city shelter still operates as normal. If a dog stays there past whatever their period is, then Mm -hmm. either rescue groups, breed specific or organizations like Austin Pets Alive comes and scoops up the dogs on death row if they don't get adopted. And so, as you can imagine, that means Austin Pets Alive gets a lot of really severe medical cases and a lot of really severe behavior cases. and. Fortunately a lot has changed. But essentially really what no kill means is a live outcome rate of like 92% as I think the, the floor for it, but I okay. think Austin kind of maintains like 97%. Okay, cool. Yeah, good question. Thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> It's like you're good at this or something.
1: When I came over to Texas, I always expected that Texas was going to be like a little wild and a little bit outbackish kind of place. And then when I went to Austin, it was really like university lefty, hippie sort of. Like I got a real shock when I went there. I thought, this is not what I expected Texas to be. Like it's really sort of I guess what we would call Bondi in Sydney. Very conservative. It was uh yeah, yeah. it was quite a shock.
0: Conservative in the I liked Aussie it. Don't get sense. me
1: wrong. Yeah, but it was just it was not what I expected Texas to be. I kind of yeah. expected people to be walking around in cowboy hats and You know like really sort of out there but it wasn't that it was like a real university sort of town
0: yeah very much so i mean the university of texas is one of the biggest universities in the state Mm. and it's right downtown in fact people bitch about it all the time (laughs) because it's taking up real estate but um yeah austin is definitely a liberal or i guess like a free thinking Mm. hippie-ish dot in a sea of conservatism
1: very proud of of their bats too
0: Yes. yes yeah it's it's cool man it's it's part of the conservation you know like if we didn't have our bridges and if we didn't conserve like that would really fuck up a lot of bat migration so yeah i grew up in houston which is a huge city with a lot of cultural diversity and i absolutely love that and i kind of miss that here but also i don't really miss seeing all the political flags like most of the political flags and banners i see in people's yards align with my political beliefs and so um, it's I, I feel pretty comfortable here um, minus the lack of diversity in some ways but it's it's a growing city there's people moving from all over which I think is also helping to contribute to that kind of it's mindset. very pretty it's week. and
1: the barbecue was great too oh
0: my god did you hear Joe Rogan was like when he, when he first moved here he had diarrhea for a week because he wouldn't stop eating barbecue <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it just came up in my Facebook memories you know Last year, a year ago, PSA National. So where the hotel uh-huh. was, there was a, um, like the closest place to eat was a Mission Barbecue. And so yeah. I literally ate there. I think I was there for six days. I ate all my meals at Mission Barbecue. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> we don't have it's... places like that here. you got to make your own barbecue. I mean, there's plenty around, but there's no good chains like that. Yeah. Anyway, enough of the Texas, barbecue podcast.
0: Texas in general. Yeah, no, we're going to talk about barbecue, Pat. <laughs> No, there's a lot of good barbecue here, though. Honestly, like just throw a dart and pick one. Meat wine kind of
1: do a pretty good job. Yeah, but that's not a not a barbecue place like yeah. tra- their traditional mm. ones. Like their barbecue houses are amazing. Yeah, yeah.
2: carry if on, ever- Misha. Sorry,
1: sorry, hijacked this and turned it into the smokehouse <laughs> podcast.
0: <laughs> we always got to have tangents. Tangents are fun. Yep. Long story short, it's funny. I just listened to y'all's episode with Amy Sadler, mm-hmm. and. Whenever I got there to Austin Pets Alive, um, there was a guy named Mike Caviani who was running the behavior program. Who actually, uh, I don't know if he apprenticed or went to like some sort of program, but he worked with Amy Sadler when she was in Long Island where, where he grew up. And so he implemented this whole play group program. And so, dogs playing for life was a huge, huge influence on me. And honestly, like, I'm. I've had some negative experiences with dog social stuff to where I'm, I really want a lot of practice before I start offering something like that.
3: Mm, But it's, yeah, Mm. I got to
0: see that because Mike was so progressive in his training ideals. And I saw all the tools. There were some dogs that had prong collars or some dogs that had easy walk harnesses. Some had gentle leaders. And I just, I fell in love. I was head over heels. And even when I did get a job there, eventually as a dog adoption counselor, which was basically my responsibilities entailed walking the dogs, medicating them, feeding them. I even took care of the maternity ward pups as I kind of progressed through the positions there. And yeah, I lived and breathed that. And I would go even on my days off so much so that Lee would be like, dude, you, you have to like, scale it back a little, like, come on. I'm like, it's the first thing that I have ever truly loved in terms of like a profession that I think I can see myself doing this for a very long time. I loved trying to convey the importance of training and convey the importance of structure to new adopters. I loved matchmaking and trying to get people matched up with the right dogs. I used to make flyers and photoshop for adoption events and like i just i knew i wanted to be inundated but when you live in a no kill city sometimes you get some really really difficult dogs sometimes you get dogs where the humans have consistently failed um mm. not necessarily for not trying either there's there's one dog in particular that i always think of his name was drumstick and we made the mistake of taking his fear, his distrust, whatever you want to call it of new people and trying to get food to basically accommodate and maybe hopefully close that gap a little bit. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately it backfired because once the person didn't have food in their hands and after enough adopters come through, you've got repetition and these behaviors and these protocols. And if the food wasn't there, he got pissed and would try to bite.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And so There's a couple dogs like that that had to go. And a lot of times, honestly, APA was very good about being very clear about what their lines in the sand were. If they did have to say goodbye to a dog and euthanize, obviously medical stuff that was a little bit clearer, but with behavior, it can, it can be really tricky, especially when you have volunteers who fall in love with the dog, who are dedicated staff members fall in love with the dog. And when you have a dog that's been there for 700 days, it's a little bit of operations management at that point, because like if that dog isn't there, that frees up potentially a kennel for another dog that's really easily adoptable. And therefore then you can save a lot more dogs. Mm. Um, So it's always a tough call to make.
2: I think Um, that was well, like, you know, I've had in my, entire career of only sort of recommended euthanasia for a a handful of dogs. And it's such a big decision to make on behavioral grounds, like on medical grounds, we can look at it and I think it's almost a, it's not almost, it's a mercy that Mm. we're lucky to be able to afford dogs that we don't get to afford our own loved ones. Like, you know, my grandfather died a horrific death because, you know, it was on life support and that, you know, like it did, there's no other choice, but with dogs, at least we get to give them that mercy at, at a time. But I think making that decision on behavioral grounds, fuck, that's a lot of responsibility to take on. And also like, it's a funny one, I think, you know, in shelters, especially because- it's so easy, exactly as you said, like you have to triage, right? So maybe like if that was mm-hmm. someone's dog, you would put in a lot more, well, things would be different. It's not that you'd put in more effort, but that like the dog would have a better chance. And I think about that a lot because, you know, sometimes you see trainers who will say like, it's a really big call to make that decision alone as well. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, if you're just missing one little piece, you could reckon, you could take a dog's life for what could be a fixable problem just because you didn't see it. And there's so many things like that. Like you fuck up all the time. And, and what about bias?
3: Yeah, that's it. Sometimes
2: people just
1: don't like the dog either, you know, and it it comes down to
2: personal bias. Yeah, never give it a proper chance Mm. and that sort of stuff. It's it's such a difficult situation, such a a hard call to make. But, of course, it has to be made in some cases. I think it should be panel-based. I think there should be a group of peers that look at
1: it and, you know, you get a collective of people together and they say, look, there is just no hope for this dog. It's fucking miserable. It's living a shit life. And rather than those peers just being people that collaborate together officially, it should be three people, four people that look at it and just say, "Yeah, yeah, I agree," you know, and majority rules yeah. kind of thing.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that is how they did. I don't think the power was given just to the head of the department. I think it was the entire behavior team, mm. and then potentially anybody else who might be involved. Sometimes, sometimes outside opinions were sought after, which was which was cool. But after working in that kind of environment for a long time and seeing there are some dogs that just cracked perfectly lovely, wonderful dogs. And just the day in, day out and the stress of uh, 300 dogs yelling, hey, what's your name? Ezekiel.
3: (laughs) Fuck you. Ezekiel. Yeah.
0: Yeah, It gets a little old and it gets stressful and frustration builds. And fortunately, there were mandatory outings twice a day. But sometimes those dogs wouldn't get out till noon if we had a busy day and we were short staffed on volunteers. And and sometimes the final potty break would be at seven. And then the next one again is at like 1130 the next day. That's a long time. And, you know, at least those dogs had it a little bit better than the city shelter at the time. But still, like, it, it's stressful. And I, I saw this one dog named Zion just snap. One day I came back and he was like yelling at everybody that walked by. And he was a cute dog, man. Fortunately, he got to go to Sanctuary, but not everybody's that lucky because if there's no space at Sanctuary, I mean, they only take so many dogs and those dogs live there for life. So it takes a while for their, for those Sanctuaries to have turnover. What um, Sanctuary?
1: Talk about that.
0: So the place he went to was in somewhere in like Zion, around Zion National Park in Utah. I think it was Best Friends or something like that. But it's essentially a place where dogs with behavior problems go to live out their days. And I don't know what, just exactly just an open how, field sort of thing? Yeah. Or they have like big runs and sometimes they'll do like social type stuff. It just kind of depends, but it's very much a like- So they have no intent
2: to rehab these dogs. That's just like you're they, here- They might.
0: Okay. They might, but it, there's no expectation of rehab. Okay. So if, if the dog gets rehabbed and it goes home with a staff member or something like that, then great, but it's not. There's no intent to put that dog back out in mm. public. So it takes the pressure off, I think, and it gives the dog a lot more time. So I have no idea what happened to Zion. I, I hope he's happy and frolicking somewhere with some volunteer that loves him. So Zion
1: went to live in Zion?
0: Yes, he did. Yeah. He did.
2: You're making a yep. story up.
0: I can corroborate this shit. There's photo evidence. I can I can put you in touch. You better
2: you better better start producing it. No, I agree with you. It's a weird one because you know we've spoken about it a hundred times on the show. I won't harp on it, but like my dog, if he if he got out of my house and was picked up by the local council and put into the local shelter, you know, as the skinny crossbred German Shepherd that he would be called, he'd be dead in a week because he is, and he's a social, loving, beautiful, my dream dog, but he would not handle that situation and, and he would just it's drive and frustration yeah frustration becomes aggression and, and he's a dog that is not afraid to bite people in fact he's spent his whole life being taught how to do that so like it's uh, it, it would it that kind of situation really pulls at my heartstrings because you wonder how many dogs uh, that you see in these shelters had someone like that who's desperately looking for them, you know, like, and, and it's like, man, you, you were built into being this. You were genetically selected to be like that. You were built into being this. And in the right circumstances, you're someone's dream dog. And however you came to be in here, it's just all fucked up for you. Like solitary confinement (laughs) will, will drive you insane.
0: Yep. What drove me crazy is like part of my job of matchmaking, potential adopters with dogs is like the minute we would get, it was almost all chihuahuas and pit but the minute we'd get like a Husky or a German shepherd, especially a white German shepherd with blue eyes, like everybody was wanting to see that dog. And of course, by the time a dog like that gets to us at APA, it's got all kinds of problems. Yeah, it's a it's a either myth. been resource guarding or it's very territorial. And there's these people with like little kids. And I'm like, you can't have that dog. You see how it's staring at your child right now? That's not okay. Mm. Like, oh, it'll be fine. And I'm like, it's really pretty. And they say things like, it's really pretty. And I'm like, okay, yeah. go go fill out the paperwork and we'll talk. Right. And, and of course, like somebody would eventually pick up that dog, adopt it, and then it'd be back in a week or two for all the problems. There's this one lady. Oh my God. There's this one lady. We had this dog on medication because it was very stressed out. It was very neurotic. It looked like potentially it had husky or something like that in it. Pointy ears, similar coat, probably a lot of drive, honestly, looking back on it now. And we explained to her going home, We she made one of the adoption counselors cry. So I had to come in and step in because I was shift lead at the time and another behavior team was available yet. And Three of us told this woman, do not stop his meds cold turkey. I understand that you don't think it's okay to medicate dogs. However, the point is he is medicated now. And if you stop it, you're going to have some pretty severe consequences. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And of course, what did she do that day? Stopped all the meds. Two weeks later, three bites later. Mm -hmm. Now this dog has basically a, a solid reason to be euthanized mm-hmm. and it's all the stupid lady's fault because her ego got in the way
3: bitch mm.
0: so as you can imagine like all these kind of negative experiences kind of started mounting up and i also to be honest like i led myself into my own burnout because i fell so head over heels in love with dogs and learning about their behavior and trying to modify their behavior, trying to provide structure in their life, trying to set them for success when they went home. And there's this one dog, French fry that I felt like they didn't give him enough of a chance. Yes. They followed. These
2: real dog homes. names. Are you making these up as we <laughs> yeah. go? Drumstick, no, French
0: right. fry, Zion, I know, I know.
2: Zion who went to live in Zion. <laughs>
0: no, I'm not making this up. And French fry, French fry was such a cool dog, man. He was this black pity. And I think he was starting to snap a little bit as a lot of dogs did after being there for months. I think they eventually renamed him, but I don't remember to what, and they put him down a little bit faster than what I think they should have. I think they should have given him a little bit more of a chance or try to foster or something like that. And that, that dog was like one of the that dog and Nilla Bean. These are all foods. This Vanilla is Bean. <laughs> it's Nilla bean. Vanilla um, bean. Those two dogs and Dash. So those three dogs were like the last three straws that broke the camel's back. Mm. Plus, I was overworked. Plus, lunch breaks weren't mandated and we worked 11-hour days. I'm doing air quotes for those of you who are listening because um, they were more like 15-hour days without a wow. lunch break. Wow.
1: Hey, uh, Uh you're a gamer, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah.
0: How can you tell?
1: But I know that from you in the past anyway. (laughs) My buddy had a dog in his backyard and I knew he had a dog, but I never asked the dog's name. And I said, oh, you know what's the dog's name? And he goes, Leroy Jenkins. And uh, <laughs> I nearly fucking died. <laughs> That's amazing. That was so incredible. For- like, you know, the story. Leroy,
3: Leroy Jenkins. You fucking Jen- asshole, Jenkins. Leroy. This least
2: I ain't chicken. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so for our listeners who might not be gamers. Just post
2: um, that, post that in yeah. the group when we're done.
0: But there's got to be a little bit of context around it. And the context is back in the day, you would do these huge raids and dungeons where it would take hours to assemble the right people with World the right skills mm. in World of Warcraft. Mm. People, they're all talking about like strategy. strategy yeah. And there's this one guy that's like, Oh, the the odds of survival is uh 33.3 repeating. Of course, <laughs> you know, super dorky stuff. And this guy like just right as they're about to like wrap everything up, he just goes, Leroy Jenkins and runs in and starts aggroing everybody, AKA starting the fight before anybody was ready. And of course everybody dies. Mm. They wipe out, they lose all their gear. They lose a shitload of money. And, yeah, it was.
2: Uh, I have been in a real-life gunfight and been hiding behind a wall and said to a guy, what do you think we should do? And he goes, Leroy Jenkins. Leroy Jenkins, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> I was like, you understand this is real life, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we Dude, Leroy so- Jenkins, and everything turned out. Yep, and yeah. Pat got great armor from that fight. <laughs> <laughs> he got to upgrade to ep-
1: epic content.
0: <laughs> yeah, he got a legendary mount. Too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, we're derailing. Nisha, get back to it. That's fine. It's A D D.
3: It's cool.
0: So yeah, after those dogs, it was draining me. I was crying a lot between, you know, walking dogs. I'd go to the bathroom a lot just to like sob. And I was like, okay, this this is not good. This is very unhealthy. My personal life is suffering. My heart is suffering. Something has to change. And I was getting really frustrated with dogs way more easily than I would. I was getting way more frustrated with potential adopters way more easily than mm-hmm. I normally would. Mm-hmm. And so I realized I need to change and one of my coworkers had just happened to get a job at a trading big training company, right? And um, I was like, Hey, if you guys are ever hiring, let me know. But then I started kind of searching and seeing like, what kinds of training companies are there in Austin or trainers that might take a fairly green person, right? Like I've put my hands on a lot of dogs, but like training behavior start to finish. I mean, 99% of the time I would teach a dog sit and a door boundary. And that's, that's all I got because the dog would get adopted. Yay. You know, Mm -hmm. And she convinced them to create a position for me. And I got hired and I spent four years there learning, going to seminars, going to IACP, where I met you guys. Mm. And after a while, I decided... (laughs) Not that I knew at all, but that I, I had reached a ceiling at my current, at my company at the time. And, uh, there wasn't really a lot more room for growth other than going into a managerial position. And on top of that, it was a very heavily e-collar based company. So I was like, I kind of, I don't think we should slap e-collars on every dog. Like there's some dogs that just, it's more of a distraction than, than it is a help for attention, which is what, what was sold, you know? And so It's been a year now since I've had my own company, trained with Cerberus, and I've been loving every freaking minute of it, man. And you got a big smile on your face. Yeah. Being my own boss is way less terrifying than I thought it would be.
2: So tell us a little bit about that leap of faith, because I remember talking to you in Colorado about you were literally just starting that. You handed Mm. me your card and we're all super excited about it. Yeah. Like, "Yeah, yeah, I have my own card. Right. How did that go like developing your own clients and going from like, Hey, cause everything's organized for you there, right? Like here's your run sheet. You turn up, these are the dogs. It's yep. very structured and you don't do any of the marketing and you're just a dog trainer, right? Whereas yep. now you're a, you're a business person. You're finally using that business uh, degree.
3: Mm-hmm. To- I know
0: it's it's amazing how much shit carries over. Like, I mean, you've seen me at conference. I'm like, "Hi, I'm Misha. Who are you?" Because I love networking, and that's definitely a product of business school, but also a big part of my my personality. But is a lot of things, right? A, I'm kind of an outgoing person. I'm generally pretty fun loving. B, I'm I'm gonna stop list- listing off letters because it's just gonna get we're gonna end up to Z if I don't stop one of my friends had started her own business and she was about 2 years into it by the time i was kind of ready to start mine so i'd been picking her brain a little bit melanie benware actually helped me a lot in formulating my my first business plan because i was like i don't know if i want to do boarding trains i don't i know i like lessons but i also kind of want like a i want weekends off and i want to spend the evenings with my with lee because that was kind of a big source of contention at mm-hmm. my previous company they worked us a lot And I just, I, as I went through kind of all the things and started ticking off all the boxes, I was like, worst case scenario, I fail and I come back or go to a different company or do something different altogether. Like, fuck it. I've already done two career changes. What's one more, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I just got tired of my hours being so heavy and having to do so much and not get paid as much like, and at the same time, I was also doing sales as a big p- component of my job, right? Somebody comes in, they say, hey, I want training. So I had a lot of experience doing that, like the last two years of my my tenure, if you will. And so I just kind of had all the soft skills in place already. I was already talking to clients. I was already giving out business cards whenever I would have dogs out in public. And it just sort of felt like the na- next natural progression. And I just said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do this.
2: And mm. I did. So what model did you take on exactly? How's it, how's it work?
0: So what I started with was basically exactly what Melanie was doing, but also doing lessons because I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of volume yet. And at the time, about a couple months into it, one of my, the volunteers that I became very close with at APA who was helping manage adoption follow-up on the volunteer side, she reached out to me and said, Hey, I saw your Facebook post that you're starting your own business. We're actually excuse me, redoing our adoption follow-up program, do you want to be one of our trainers? And I said, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) And like to this day, without lifting a finger, I get at least three to five, sometimes six clients a month from just APA, Mm -hmm. just them sending people my way, which is really awesome. (laughs) So it's like, I basically had sowed those oats a long time ago, and now they're bearing fruit, which is really cool. Um, I have, I became friends with a lot of my clients as well, and they send me referrals and 99% of my business is just referrals from yeah. either existing clients or previous or friends or whoever, um, which is pretty cool. It
1: was pretty nice exciting. of you to give a shout out to Melanie Benway, because I think she does a lot of extra curriculum helping younger people get involved in the industry and then helping them set up like she makes time for people. I mean, I've not known Mel for a long time, but in the time that I've known her, her and I have actually become quite close friends enough where like her own husband jokes that you know, like we're like work wife and husband because yep. we're, I mean, like we speak to each other pretty much every day yeah. and she is just an amazing person, you know, like her work ethic and her ethics in general, like she is the type of person that is an incredible president for the ICP. You know, she puts that job ahead of her own physical and mental health. The amount of volume that she produces, not only for the ICP. But for the people within it, like she generally cares about people. She cares about this industry and really wants to see it expand and go places. I can't, I mean, look, to be honest, I can't say enough nice things about it because I generally respect her, her overall ethics.
0: Yeah, no, she set aside like two hours Mm -hmm. of her day just to talk me through it on the phone. And, and at first I was like, I can't believe she's setting aside this time for me. And then when I saw her post, I don't know if it was on the IACP page or on y'all's page, her program and like, Hey, tag people who might be interested in doing this program on here. And I see her, Hey, let's schedule a call. I see her doing that with tons and tons and tons of people. And it's, it's amazing. Like the fact that she has the bandwidth to do that. And I love that Especially when you come from like, so Austin is very much like, like you said, hippie dippy. There's a lot of purely positive people here mm. and, and force free and that type, type of thing. It's which, just the
1: ethos of the town, right?
0: Right. And so I kind of got used to like trainers literally spitting at me and telling people like leaving business cards that had like basically our name of our company modified with like the word shit and fuck you and like random stuff like that in there really? like, literally literally harassing us at trade events like this we not seem very positive downtown. only i know it's fucked up fortunately that guy's gone so screw him but like there'd be people that would show up to my group classes and videotape and i'd get super paranoid and i'd have to go confront them because like hey like you you can't you can't do that. But also like You should
1: just say you should watch that back. You might learn something.
0: Right. Well, and sometimes it was just people like, no, like what you're doing is amazing. Like this is awesome. Or, oh, that's that's my cousin over there with her dog. I'm just in town. I'm just videotaping for them. Like sometimes so you can't come up all like confrontational right off the bat, but there'd be times where people would be waiting for you to fuck up mm. and just get the right freeze frame, the right still. And when we would send clients uh videos of their dog, we'd have to be very meticulous about making sure it didn't look like we kicked the dog. Cause of course we weren't kicking dogs, but if you like step towards them in a certain way or whatever, now I don't give a shit. Now I'm like, you're, you're going to see corrections. You're going to see if I push into your dog, you're going to see all of that because I'm clearly not abusing the dog and I am comfortable with what I'm doing and what I'm showing is important for this client to see.
1: I wonder so. if there's like police people out in the wild that tell wild animals not to, Play rough and be rough and tumble with each other. Well. uh, I know I'm being silly, but. I know that
2: it's silly. We have a topic and we're working towards it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's worth exploring a little bit because I broke one of my cardinal rules and it actually worked out pretty well. So I got reinforced and now, you know, who knows what will happen (laughs) from here. But I got into a Facebook thing the other day with a, it was actually with a guy who would call himself a balance trainer and it was just in a. local dog owners group right like so where i live in sydney is called the inner west and it was just a local dog owners group there right and there's this guy posted this thing like calling out positive only trainers and it was really stupid shit like nobody who's ever actually like i've heard positive only people say the sort of things that he was saying but nobody who's actually trained a dog would ever believe any of that and he was copying a lot of flack And I thought, yeah, fuck, I'll get in on this and sort of smash this guy a little bit because I thought, like, you're just talking nonsense. Like, it was just this weird self-promotion thing. And then I had a bit of a back and forth with one of the – it turns out she's a behavioralist, a a veterinary behavioralist. And she's a force free and we kind of agreed that he was talking nonsense. But the issue – We can all agree on lots of different things. And we, you know, we spoke about this last week with Amy Sadler that we enjoy, I very much enjoy talking about, you know, force-free methods and that sort of stuff. Because I think if you're going to fight in a boxing ring with one hand tied behind your back, you better be fucking good with the other one. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. for training behaviors that's like, I, I really like to talk to those people and take what I can from them. Yeah. And I think that, you know, all in all, there's no arguing whether punishment works and anybody who actually understands dog training, they can't argue that. All life. Yeah, they they can't argue yeah. that. But what is absolutely totally okay to argue is their ethics piece. And you can say, I don't want to, and that's totally fine oh, too. Right? But the absolutely. issue with the people you're talking about there is they're not like what part of like that force free community or or the you know plus our trainers or anything like that? They're just fuckwits gonna to try to legislate their but their competition out of business. Like exactly. that's what they want is because they're like, hey, I don't have the skill set to keep up with you, and I'm unwilling to do that. So what I need is you gone, right? And it's not that like what I want to win by you losing, not by me beating you. Mm. And that attitude Mm -hmm. is disgusting in a human being. Like it really, truly is disgusting. And and any victory that you have is hollow, you know, and and you know that when you go home and you're like, I'm the winner of none, right? Like it's, you're not, you didn't win shit. But that's the issue I really see is people like that, that would try to either legislate their, their competition out of business or just drive them out of business via like false bad reviews and that sort of stuff right it's oh, and, yeah. but i think that happens like the reason i bring this up and the reason i talk about the facebook sort of thing i got involved in was it was actually a balance trainer trying to do that like he was misrepresenting what a positive trainer would say mm. and that's as big an issue we've got to call that out as much as we do a, a force-free trainer that's misrepresenting what a balanced person would say and 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 so i think that like because we can really easily harmoniously live in the middle like we really easily can and and you can have people like because there's room for everybody mm. I- for starters and like saying that force-free methods don't work is largely nonsense. They okay. often do work. It's just about timeline. And then we have to think about like, well, how does that play into Lima? And and that is a big part of the ethics piece. And my yep. ethics aren't your ethics. And, and it, I think it's totally fair and reasonable that we have different ones. And so, yep. you know, like if you're willing to completely micromanage a dog's life for six months in order to fix a behavioral problem, mm. okay, no worries. But if yep. you, I'm prepared to – use a lot of positive reinforcement, but also say to the dog, hey man, you can't do that thing, right? And I can fix that same problem in two weeks, my opinion then is that that is a less stressful experience for the dog because I can quickly solve his issue and get him back to a normal life. And yes, yeah. I will use some punishment along the way. And that punishment will likely be pain compliance, right? I will give a penalty for something that, and and for me, that's like, okay, fair enough. You, you learn fast. And for others, they say, no, absolutely not. Like I'm unprepared to do that. And I will fix the same problem, but it will take me six months. And we go, okay, no worries. Like, we can get along fine mm. because the fact is, I've had clients that have asked for that, and i have been the guy that does the six month version, right? I've totally yeah, been I'm that sure. guy, but I've also been the guy at the five and a half month where the people are like, "Fuck this, get the prong collar," and I go, "Yeah, okay, yeah, fuck this." Right? I've been, I've had it in my pocket every session; it's been waiting here, ready for you to, <laughs> ready for you to, and then, and now we can fix this dog. But like, I don't think that's really an interpretation of Lima, and you have to decide that for yourself. Well, I can't tell you Absolutely. what Lima is; you can't tell me either, right? I think that yeah. we we have to we all fall on a spectrum of that that's my rant. and
0: honestly it all like like we always say it always comes back to the dog what does the dog perceive as rewarding what does the dog perceive as punishing in that moment and like it's fucking absurd that we put our egos into it and and try to predict what that might be and and say it with absolute certainty like there's no certainty when it comes to that the only thing you can be certain of is what you're doing and then monitor and manage monitor the results Mm
1: -hmm. exactly that's it We had Amy on the show. You were talking about her earlier. There's two things I want to say about that. One is in reference to what you were talking about earlier on in the shelter, the frustration and suffering that you actually go through in working in that environment. I think collectively there would be a lot of people around the world that are experiencing that same sort of thing because they feel, well, they experience their own kind of learned helplessness, that this is as good as it gets. And Mm -hmm. that itself is why I really appreciate people like Amy who have gone out there and said this system is not working the way it is and these dogs are suffering under it. And not only are the dogs suffering but the staff are weighing a heavy burden on them as well. You know, you've got dogs that are going kennel crazy. You've got staff that are just feeling helpless and overwhelmed with the type Mm -hmm. of dogs that are going in. So, you know, like I really kind of appreciate that Jay and – Amy and the, I know that there's people we haven't named who probably listen to this and say, oh, what about me? Well, good for you. Yeah, you, you you as well. You know, all you guys that are, that are out there who are producing that type of GRC type of environment inside kennels where dogs are getting out and, you know, getting on mills and having a job to do, you've got nothing but our pure respect for doing that. The other point I want to make was when we were talking to Amy, we were talking about the movie The Joker. Oh, yeah. And I was watching an episode of- Was it?
2: No, that was Tyler.
1: Was that Tyler? Yeah, yeah. it was Tyler, you're right. It was Absolutely.
0: Tyler, yes, yeah. Yes, that movie's amazing. That's my it favorite is. Joker adaptation I've ever seen. Yeah, it's incredible.
2: It's incredible. Dare you. How <laughs> dare you speak on Heath Ledger's grave like that?
0: Okay, look.
1: How
2: dare he you was disrespect amazing. that great Australian.
0: Okay, th- they're my top two. Okay, those two are my top. <laughs> two. Definitely
1: top two. Yeah, definitely top two. But, but I like,
2: mean, Joaquin Phoenix pulled it off. How dare you? How uh, dare you blow Joaqu- off an Aussie? Blow off Jared Leto but, but, but he- and his interpretation <laughs> and his horrific, terrible interpretation of the what Joker. Jack. <laughs> Dear old his, Jack.
0: His was good, but it was still comic book. It yeah, was still. It was very
2: cartoon- Tim Burton.
0: Whereas Joaquin Phoenix was like, holy shit, that could literally happen. That's real.
1: Yeah. But there's a a, a point I was trying to make was I was watching an episode of The Crown last night, which is a portrayal of the English royal family, Uh and it it has a whole episode. It's a bit of a spoiler, but it's not because everybody knows about it. There was a guy that broke into the Queen's personal bedroom. Like he scaled the wall and got in. You know, this was portrayed around the world, and he pretty much – the reason he did that, the pressure behind why he did that, was ultimately the same as why the Joker became the Joker. He just felt so fucking helpless and so overwhelmed with society, like no, like he was, he lost his wife, his kids. I mean, he was probably a bit of a douche in his own rights, you know, like people like that generally are. You know, they've got attitudes they just don't understand it. But if you know, someone said to him. There's no one you can really talk to. Why don't you go and talk to the queen? So he did. He Mm. literally broke into her apartment and um, sat on her bed and spoke to her for for 10 minutes. You know, and he accepted his fate that he was going to get arrested and so forth. But he just said, I've got no one to turn to and you really need to listen to somebody. And I felt sorry for the guy. Like I understood his plight. And I understand why people get pushed to such a level, you know, and we fundamentally feel the same way with animal reform and these new, you know, we're facing a new prevention of cruelty to animal act that's coming in at the moment, which elements of it are just ridiculous. And the problem for most of us around the world is our governments who are elected by us, they don't really listen to us. You know, like they listen to a select group of yes people who allow them the courtesy of just saying, oh, we'll just fluff this through and, you know, we'll we'll say what you want to say. So they cherry pick the crowd that they actually want to come in. And that's sad because it happens on multiple levels in multiple environments. And that's why people become so frustrated and desperate and lose their fucking mind is because people aren't giving them the, the appropriate audience they need. And that's my rant.
2: Well it, it does it, it ties into the whole kennel dog thing because I think that's sometimes where you see dogs can be reinforced for extreme versions of behavior so yes. we push them yes. to the limit and then they're like fuck this I'm having the blow- I'm I'm, do- this is I'm doing outlet. the biggest blow up you've ever seen and then that brings someone down to stop them and then mm. they're like right got you this is what we'll take and and it's pushing them to that extreme. Yes. We actually I don't know if you remember many years ago we had a a very similar thing here in Sydney where a guy you know his mental health background is, you know, is what it is. But he was refused access to his kids. Do you remember that? And mm-hmm. he climbed uh-huh. the harbour bridge. Yes, he climbed the harbour bridge and held the whole city hostage because he shut down the harbour bridge by climbing it. Yep, and Yikes. he wasn't going to come down until his story was heard. Mm. And it was the same thing. Like ex- they're pushed to the extreme. Yeah, be- and because he felt helpless to- in any other way, and mm. fucking oath, he got to tell his story right. Like everybody heard it because yep. he shut down the city. Yep. And but so, why should it come to that? Yeah, that's right. But I think that's something that we can observe, like, to you know, to try and make it a dog podcast. Is It's definitely something <laughs> that we can see in dogs that have that, that big fucking lash out where they're like, hey, I've tried all the Very little much. things. Mm. I've tried all the things. I've tried growling. I've tried, like, I've tried – you know, all the the subtleties of this behavior and I've tried your process and none of that's working. Mm. And the problem is if the dog is locked in a kennel dog, as you were talking about, Mishu, there is no, out, there is no out, right? Like this is oh. your life, my friend, you, you're living in there and that the dog blows the fuck up. And maybe you just coming down to tell him to shut up is the reinforcer that he got like, okay, at least that was something, mm. right? Like that was better than nothing. At least I got in trouble. And that's how you create the joker. That's yeah. where it's like, at least well, I'm in trouble and being in trouble is, yeah. this is where I think that, you know, to deepen the conversation, on force free training, positive only versus using some punishment is like b- reinforcement is relevant from where you came from, mm, right? Absolutely. So, like a brutal beating can be reinforcing to to, to some people, depending on yeah, where like you Yeah, like j
0: Jack. Yeah. But <laughs> I was getting so, beat up.
2: <laughs> like I tell the story, you know, like when I did that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a big part of when I teach, I talk about, and I think I've talked about on the shows when I did that resistance to interrogation, that's the whole point of it. You have your yeah, interrogation, yeah. which would normally under normal circumstances, if I was like, Hey, we're going to like starve you. We're going to beat you up a little bit, like not too bad, but we're going to give you a little bit of a hiding and then naked in front of a panel full of people, you're going to be interrogated. And that in right now sounds horrible, right? But when you're, option is your other option is to be locked in a shipping container listening Listen to snappy dash line on right <laughs> it's fantastic you're yeah. like fucking earth i'll take that beating and like at one point when i got drowned like mock drowned i was like fuck yeah Getting drowned is awesome. Oh, <laughs> drown me some more. Mm. This is fantastic, right? It's all about perspective. You'll go through the punishment to get to the reward. Yeah, well, and, well, the punishment What what was meant to be punishing was fucking wonderful to me because I was like, well, the alternate is being locked in a box, yep. right? And so, Listening like,
0: to snappy
2: you should be snappy to kind of a crocodile, right? Mm. And so, like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's relative, it, like punishments and reinforcers are relative from where you came. Yeah. Relative right? and perspective are two very powerful outcomes. Yeah. Mm.
3: Yep.
0: Yep. Well, I think that's a pretty good segue for the whole topic that I actually wanted to talk yeah, about. So
2: 45 which, minutes uh, ago when we started, <laughs> we were talking about because you've got something to say, right? I got some shit to say. Yes. Let me, um, let's just so hang on. Shit. Let me explain. So we've talked a lot of shit because we, we talk, we talk a fair bit. We're shit talkers. And so like yeah. people will be like, mm, yeah. get to it. Right. But it's <laughs> some of the buildup it's part of the dramatic intro i know right mm-hmm. all right. right what do you got
0: like edging
2: with conversations segue us into what you um, what were talking about.
3: so
0: so one of the things that i have learned along the years is basically kind of learning to look inside and truly accept yourself for who you are and where you came from and what your reinforcers are mm. i through i have learned this year that I threw myself into shelter work. Yes, because I loved it. Yes, because I didn't know that you could love a career. I thought you would hate your job and then go home and do fun stuff. I I didn't think you could marry the two, but also because like I experienced some pretty severe trauma when I was a child. So there's two things that happened. And Glenn, you and I actually talked about this in Colorado Mm. and, um, There's something that's literally been ticking around in my head for an entire year since one of our conversations that night. And essentially what happened to me was when I was 12, my mom was diagnosed with a pretty aggressive uterine cancer that needed a very aggressive treatment plan. So there were days where I'd come home and I didn't know what I was going to find. I didn't know if she'd be alive. I didn't know if she'd be chipper. I didn't know if she could even fucking talk, right? So that's number one. Meanwhile, my sister was 18 and kind of doing 18 year old things and dealing with that trauma in her own way. And my dad had to work, had to continue working. So between the hours of me coming home from school and my dad coming home, I was primary caretaker, right? And that's a lot mm. to ask of a 12 year old. And it's which turbulent. Yes, it was very turbulent, especially between my parents and my sister, to the point where I fucking hated my sister. Mm. I had severe abandonment issues between her, and I never really accepted that I had any issues with my parents, which which is, I'll get to that. The other thing that happened at the same time was I had a friend who turned out to probably have undiagnosed borderline personality disorder. And she manipulated me and she was awful to me. And she made me feel very, 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 very small to control me. Right. So as soon as I graduated high school, I was like, bye, bitch. See you never. And I got the fuck out of there, which I think is one of the reasons why I I really appreciate boundaries so much because it was impossible to have those with her. And I decided never again will I let anybody treat me like that ever fucking again, ever again. And so this last, in September-ish of 2019, I was like, you know what? I have some clearly unresolved issues. I know I went through this traumatic experience. I thought that I had worked through it. I thought I had talked through it. I thought I understood, but I didn't, I didn't know the half i barely scratched their surface. And what I didn't realize was that talking about it kind of openly was sort of a cop-out. It was it was me running away because I was like, but I talked about it, but I'm okay with it. See, I'm fine. But it was just a cover up. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go to therapy. I had tried therapy in the past and it just I didn't quite find the right therapist. And like I sort of worked through it, right? Worked through my issues earlier, but again, there was just a band-aid. And this last year, I have gone on a very, very, very deep dive and truly accepted it. And honestly, I think a big part of it, it's weird to say this, but I'm kind of grateful for not the pandemic and not for COVID and not for all the horrible things that have happened, but just for what it's forced me to do. Like Texas shut down for a few months. I couldn't do anything at all. And I just had to sit there with my thoughts. And meanwhile, my parents and I have very different political ideologies. They were on a fucking cruise ship in March. Like they got on a cruise ship two days before the country shut down.
2: (laughs) They're on a
0: fucking boat. Mm. Yes and I had to deal with their mortality. And, and one of the things that my sister pointed out to me when I was like freaking the fuck out was that mom had cancer. She had cancer twice. Actually she recovered from her uterine cancer. And then years later had a bladder cancer. That was the result of um, radiation and chemotherapy. And um, you know, and she kicked its ass and then my dad got prostate cancer. And my, my sister was like, look dude, like they've had to face their own mortality three times. Mm-hmm. three times, at least not, not even including all the shit of leaving Poland and immigrating to the United States and all the crap that they had to go through, through, through that. And so when she kind of framed it that way, I realized like, Oh fuck. Yeah, of course. Go what, go party. Who gives a shit about COVID? You know, you die, you die. You almost died. It's fine. Right. And one of the things that really stood out to me and I was like, I don't understand why this keeps rattling around in my head is We were drinking, we were hanging out at the bar and Glenn, you were like, something's deeper is going on inside of you. Have you ever had trauma? And I was like, yes. And he, you said specifically who hurt you? And I said, my mom. And the entire year since then I was like, Oh God, I wish I could go back and erase that. I wish I could go back and erase that and say, no, 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 it wasn't my mom. It wasn't my mom that hurt me because what kind of fucking monster says your mom got cancer And therefore she hurt you. Like that's such a piece of shit, selfish thing to say, but at the same time, it's not, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. And I had suppressed it for so long that I just off the cuff blurted it out, but it was a hundred percent true. The reason I discovered that it was a hundred percent true was that a couple of weeks ago before the election here in the United States, I got into a text fight over politics with my dad, which Number one, okay, don't talk about politics in that context over text like that's horrible. And I had this huge blown up reaction at that point. It was my childhood friend who essentially emotionally abused me. That's who I was responding to. I wasn't my dad it was that. And when I realized that I, I told my therapist about it and I, and I talked her through, talked through it. And she asked me to entertain the idea that perhaps I'm mad at my dad because she told me I was like a little soldier whenever he, she would ask me about my dad or if I was ever angry at him or upset or anything like that. My response was always like, well, of course not. He had to go to work. My sister was the, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right she abandoned me mm. and I can't be mad at my mom. And then I realized, and I really, truly sat with that. I really tried to entertain the idea. Misha from a couple of years ago would never entertain that. I'd be like, no, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. I'm not thinking about that, but I decided, you know what? Maybe she has a point. Maybe she knows more than me. And I sat with it and I sat with it and I realized two things. Number one, I desperately want to be close with my parents, but I push them away because I'm afraid of them going again, right? I'm afraid of getting close and then me having to deal with all of that shit all over again. So I've kept them at an arm's length. And then what I realized was what I blurted out to you, Glenn, that's what I was feeling. Mm. I was mad at my mom and I had never once entertained that idea. I'd never once accepted that. And it kind of just set me on this path of like, it is important to know who you are and to know where you came from and to understand what is truly going through your head when you're looking at that dog in front of you, when you're talking to that client, when that client pisses you off, when a a vendor that you're dealing with in your business upsets you and they're narcissistic and you just have this knee-jerk reaction to tell them to go eat shit and die, like that's not normal. That's not a normal response. It's coming from somewhere. And it's a little bit deeper than just having a shitty day at work. Cause sure. Yeah. You have a shitty day at work. You got to put your shit on a shelf and not take it out on the dog. I, I, I hope people understand that, but it goes a lot deeper than that. Cause we are all a product of who we are and where we've come from. And mm. unless you can accept and love yourself and forgive yourself for hating your mom for a little bit, you can't go forward because that's always going to come back and affect you always. Mm. It's going to hold you back in ways that you didn't realize it could hold you back.
1: It's echoed around in my head for a long time. The Socrates quote, know thyself. And I remember back in high school, one of my friends was doing, he was quite artistic and articulate in philosophy. And he was doing a project on Socrates. And he was talking to me about the quote. And I never really understood it. I never took the time to to understood it. And, you know, like yourself, Misha, there's parts of my life that are broken too. And I think sometimes we identify ourselves and other people as well. Like you can see yep. where people are hurting and they're using humor to cover it up. And you and me are very kindred souls in that type of areas that when we're feeling, we try and laugh things off more when we're hurting hard. That happens and I can see that in other people because I identified it in myself. And that's where I right. learned the power of that phrase, know thyself. You know, like understand who you are and where your reinforcers do come from and, and what troubles you and how you can – I mean I fundamentally I think when you're on that pathway, that proper pathway, you're on the pathway to correcting the imbalances that are in your life. Good for you for being able to to see it. I mean it's hard and you want to hide it. And there's a lot of people in the, in the dog training industry – in the industry itself you know not just the dog training industry let me say the animal industry that are in this industry because they've given up on trying to connect with other human beings they find it very difficult to do something's happened to them they've experienced some sort of childhood trauma or some sort of trauma where they don't trust people much anymore and the unyielding love that they get from animals yeah. comforts them you know and that's what brings a lot of people to this industry and i know that because i know from experience of working with so many people who have escaped the social confines to be able to come into to an area where they do feel at peace and they do feel loved. Cause I, sometimes I think to myself, what drives these staff to turn up every day at, you know, like rain, hail or sunshine and work with dogs who are splattering piss and shit all over them. And they're in that environment all the time and they can still smile and they can still feel happy and they still love, you know, they're whistling while they work. And I think to myself, amazing. Amazing. You know, and that took me time to get that is because they, for the first time in their life, they've experienced what they believe is love, being loved, being, you know, those animals so happy to see them and feeling so connected to them and so forth. And when you don't have that in your life, it dawned on me one day, I sat there and I'm like, holy fucking shit. You know, finally I get something that a a little piece of the puzzle that had been missing from my own perspective. And that's why I said to you before, perspective is so powerful.
0: Our dogs become a dumping ground for Mm. those emotional, that baggage, that bias that we have, whether you used to have this amazing dog that was just perfect in every way. And so you got another of the same breed because you had that expectation and they're completely different and they're biting you. That's your baggage is creating a bias, mm. whether you realize it or not. And you, you have to understand and you have to accept those things that this isn't the same person. This isn't the same dog. This isn't the person talking to you that abused you in your past. It's something completely different. And until you actually work through it, you, you can't. And your body would gladly take physical pain over emotional pain. I've read The Body Keeps the Score and then Healing Back Pain, which is a very generic book title by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very hard to research and, and um, you have to actually send people the link, but mm you know, I had severe migraines for years and at first I thought they're hormonal and I was always looking for an answer. I was always looking for a specific solution to solve that problem. What I realized was it was my own anxiety. It was my body trying to get me to focus on this because it was the emotional shit it couldn't Mm. handle because I didn't have capacity. I'd been holding so many things in for so long. And like, honestly, if you, use your dog as an emotional dumping grounds. You may not even realize that you're doing it, but like B-Town is a perfect example of that. B-Town, when I first got him, was this cool, zesty, amazing dog who wouldn't stop fetching. And I was like, you're fucking cool I like and you're a chihuahua like you're the coolest chihuahua I've ever freaking met and so I scooped him up and then he started biting me a lot and he would bite other people and I was like well clearly you don't like, like me, me for much. example he,
3: <laughs> he bit me
0: he bit Pat I fucking warned you though dude I told yeah. you not to touch him but yeah. you know
2: people say so that you know shit what to me all the time to- and then I touch that dog and it's fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were the outlier <laughs>
0: again, bias. There you go. Right there. Um, And, and like what in the last year, one of the things that I did, because my previous company was so obedience heavy, it was obedience, 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 do the obedience and it will become habit. That was the mantra. That's what I told clients all the time. And then I took off the e-collar off B-Town after freaking three, four years, and nothing was habit. Nothing was laid into him. Everything would just perish if I didn't reinforce it or maintain it in some form or fashion. And I was like, okay, so this is bullshit. Um, clearly, <laughs> I need to find a different route because like after four years, that should be habit, right? And what I realized was that I had all this space. I wanted to fix him so badly. And it was a means for me avoid to avoid fixing myself, essentially. And to avoid, because you know what? You've got problems and they're more important than my problems. I didn't put myself first at all in that sense. I put work, I put my emotions, I put my clients, I put my, I put everything else before, mm. right? And so in the last year, since leaving the previous company and starting my own, I was like, you know what? I just want you to be a cool, I kind of like retired him in the sense, I just, I want you to be a dog, I want to go on walks with you, but fuck your obedience, I don't care if you heal, yeah, if I ask you to sit and you pop up, I might fix it, but I'm not going to be so militant about it, and what I found is that he's starting to love touch, He loves fucking touch. It's just that the layered stress of me putting him in lessons and me taking him to work every day and me saying, he'll sit down, blah, blah, blah. You must do this stifled him, It didn't allow him the room, the freedom to express. And he was so stressed out without looking stressed out because he was happy to fetch. He was happy to do things. He was happy. He loves to learn. He loves to work. He loves to learn new tricks, et cetera. And, and ultimately it was just a mask. And now like I I can actually pet that motherfucker from like top to bottom, like three times, just because I feel like it. And I was just trying so hard to get him to accept my touch that I missed the point entirely. I missed it entirely because all I had to do was just listen to him, give him some space, space to breathe and not expect so goddamn much of him. And again, that was just my trauma rearing its head. And I, and until I started to learn that about myself and like, I'm reactive as fuck. <laughs> like, I am super reactive, especially if you hit an emotional cord. fuck you. No, like I will tear your head off, mm. but I'm also fun loving. And like, I just see so much of myself in him. And I think that's why I was drawn to him because I needed to learn that lesson. I had to get bit a lot because I was pushing it. Sometimes it was because, you know, I wasn't trying to touch him. I just stepped too close to him or something stupid like that. But that's how emotionally charged our relationship was. And it, it, it had to change. And until I changed myself, nothing else changed.
2: Dogs like him can have kind of a hard run. And, you know, I've been through a few cycles of this and I'm sort of back where I started. Some of the early dogs that I learned to train on were dogs that would work with you, but never for you. Right. right, And they had the capacity, means, and you know, ability to fuck you up if you tried to impose your will on them. And they would go along with like, so long as things were, you know, and these are you know, very top end dogs that were uh, taught to bite people and genuinely saw people as their prey, right? Mm-hmm. And would work with you so long as you were leading to getting to hunt and bite people. Mm-hmm. But the moment you were like, no, you work for me, they were like, actually, I do not. Right? right, and and you learn that very quick on those dogs because it only takes one occurrence of that, and then you go like, "Oh, I'm surprised! I'm, I'm I escaped with my life. Thank you." Uh, <laughs> right. we will have a different relationship. And so I, I had you know early access to some dogs like that, but little you know chihuahuas like B Town who have that mindset. Get kind of a bad rap of it because, like, we were just laughing about how your dog bit me, and he put all his bite into that, and we mm-hmm. even immediately were laughing like, hey he bit me, <laughs> right?" <laughs> because we don't fucker. take him that seriously, right? Yeah. But if he were, you know, twenty kilos heavier, that would have been me testing out my travel insurance and finding out like whether, <laughs> whether having my arm reattached works under that. But also, I would never have done that to him because I wouldn't take that risk with a bigger dog than you right. would with a smaller dog. So I feel like sometimes those dogs that are whether, and that can be learned. I feel like that can be a genetic trait. Like the dogs that I was talking about that are really selected for that, but also it can be learned where a dog gets a fair amount of pushback and is like, no, fuck that. I've, I've reached my limit of being told what to do. They can start out kind of bitable, but then go, go, you know what? Like this has been unfair. This is, I, I'm all given this relationship and you're all take. Mm. I'm finished with this relationship in this, in this manner. And so long as you yeah. can force them, of course they have to comply. Their avoidance Absolutely. of harm is of the highest motivator of any creature. But then when the, as you say, when the tools come off and the dog's like, ah, fuck you. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, understanding that can be really difficult. And, and and you go, I go kind of full circle on that. Sometimes I, you know, get stuck into that very operant mindset. Uh, you know, yeah. you're, you'll you do what you find reinforcement in and, and that's it. But then sometimes you hit those dogs that are like. Hey, I'll only do this with you. I will not do it for you. And I understand that this is you hitting the button on that clicker and then producing the food. And I'm not playing your fucking stupid game, right? Like, mm-hmm. and we, and they're the dogs that we might call stubborn, that would often get labelled the stubborn or belligerent type dog. And you're like, well, actually, mm-hmm. he's just really cool, <laughs> and they're <laughs> like, different. Yeah. And there's ex- too cool. there's, yeah. yeah, there's so many variables of expressions that we're quick to
1: label. There's often when I, even when I do one of my aggression seminars, I've got a picture or a silhouette of a dog that's got like, uh, I think 20 or 30 different labels written inside this dog. So it's basically a silhouette of a dog with with writing inside it, you know, and that's one point that I try and make in that whole presentation is this is what we're doing when we go and look at dogs. We're just basically saying, oh, he's stubborn or he's aggressive or he's a problem dog or he's this without really ever taking the time to ask the question, who are you, dude? You know, watch, watch your deal. And we don't do that a lot because we kind of get typecast into somebody's opinion of what a dog is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we do that to ourselves enough too. You kind of look at people and go, oh, you're, you're aggressive or you're a micromanager Uh or you're this, Uh you know, like labeling has become like a new trend in the last 10 years. You know, there's a lot of labeling where people are just finger pointing at each other and saying, I know who you are. You're a passive aggressive micromanaging son of a bitch. Well, that's, what you see me as. That's not who my friends or family see me as. That's Mm. your opinion on, on who I am, but that's not really who I, who I feel I am.
2: I think that can be, that can be a problem of language as well. Mm. Like human, uh, sorry, English language is that we will say that dog is aggressive. And Mm -hmm. so, like, and it's the same as, you know, with your own. Dr. Sort of,
0: Abrantes you know, would get mad at us for that. Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. No, exactly. He's but displaying aggressive behaviors. Yeah.
2: And, you know, I had this like talk around a campfire with a friend recently who, you know, he he had depression. They were, they were trying to diagnose me with PTSD and he was like, no, I'm just depressed, right? I'm not sad about anything I've done. But he would then was like, I, I have it. I am not it, mm. right? Because they want to say, you are depressed. And he's like, no, I have depression. And when mm-hmm. I have it, I can let go of it. But to say that I am depression is a- It's that, consuming. Well, that's me. Mm-hmm. I can't leave that yeah. label. Yeah. And I think we do that sometimes with dogs as well, where we go, you are aggressive. Yeah. And we go, okay. And then we treat the dog that way. And then the dog goes, well, fuck you. I am, right? And mm-hmm. and he's, you, you're treating me like this. Therefore, I'll display this. And, and sometimes a complete change of scenery, it's kind of like- you know, there was that show, it was an MTV show and it was really cheesy and crap, but I really loved the premise of it was like, they reinvented those high school kids before they went to college. Did you ever see that?
0: Uh-uh, no, I don't
2: think so. I'm pretty sure it was an MTV one, but it was like, they'd get these kind of awkward, kind of geeky kids. And that they were going, they were finished high school and they were going to college somewhere new and no one knew them. And they basically reprogrammed them to turn up as a new character. And it was like, nobody knows you here. You're not the awkward kid. They don't know your history. They don't Mm. know anything about you. And so we can coach you into being who you really are, not create a new character, right? But you're playing the character that has been created at your high school, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can create this new character who really is you and you can turn up to this school and if you, your new school, and if you turn up with enough confidence, and that's who you are when you arrive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't have to bring the baggage. And I think that that's sometimes something we see with other dogs as well It's like in the hands of one person, the dog is something. And because they infer the dog being that onto the dog, the dog plays the character, right? Okay. You're the, you're the, the trainer of an aggressive dog. Well, I'll be the aggressive dog. Let's mm. let's play that out. That's the role we're going to play for each other. And then you get a different trainer turns up and it goes like, "Hey, I'm the funzo. Like, hey, let's let's play these games and let's be cool with each other." And the dog goes, "Fuck, I'll play that game too." Like, I'm for you. I'll be that character, right? And yeah. they needn't ever be the character they were for the other guy, it provided the, the triggers are not met. And I think yeah. that's 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 the issue of labeling dogs. Mm. That's one of the worst things I think about, like the dangerous dog act and the menacing dog, like. Yeah. Like, you, right. your dog can be called a dangerous dog. It's a stigma that follows it around. Yeah, but mm. like your dog, the, the biggest one was before I was in dogs, I wish I still had access. To- and it chased a cat. Yeah, well, mate, I had this guy, mm. I met him in the park one day. It was before I was really into dogs. And he had a husky that was a dangerous dog. And the dog was, you know, I met him and it, the dog was great, mm. but it killed a cat. and the the circumstance that. yeah and the Fancy circumstance was that. get this his dog was on leash walking down the street and a cat like you know was hiding under a car or whatever like right in front of them was yep. hiding on the street and then the cat the dog must have got like scent of it and the cat was like my cover's blown and did the Ow. leroy jenkins and got, <laughs> and got fucking eaten by the husky and apparently the husky like ate it like <clears throat> like that was oh, the, that was the end right yep. yeah. and uh dangerous dog and so now he's a dangerous dog right forever he's dangerous that's it. You mm, are yeah. dangerous. You can't be out. And the conditions that we treat a dangerous dog under are like, you know, criminal, like a high
1: max criminal. Yeah. So
2: mm. you, you're you in a, a pen with a roof that is dug into the ground. Yep. You're never allowed off leash ever. Muzzle. Muzzle in public.
1: Identified.
2: Yeah, and Mm. so people start becoming fearful of that dog. Like the dog becomes what we're saying that it is. It becomes Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. That's the stigma that surrounds the dog.
1: It looks like Hannibal Lecter and it's treated like Hannibal Lecter.
2: Yeah, so like I said, this was before I was really into dogs and I didn't know, I couldn't give this guy any advice and I'd love to sort of have interaction with him again because he was saying now his dog does have a whole shit ton of behavioral problems Mm. because he, he can't do anything about him. Right? Like, because he, like, if he's going to walk the dog down the street, the dog's in the muzzle, it's on the leash, he can't, it, it's now super aggressive to other dogs, and it's playing the character that that it's been cast for. And that's the yeah. laziness and the sloppiness of bureaucrats
1: that get involved in these, and they never give any relief, and that's why they create such a frustrated community around them, is that, you know, look, I've been around to people's houses, I went to assess two dangerous dogs. And these dogs were too old to do anything wrong anymore. And I spoke to the council people who were in charge of the case. And they said to me, well, now that you've been called around, what's your assessment? And I said, these dogs are too old to be dangerous. You know, like oh, they should be able to enjoy their twilight years, just walking on the lead. I said, "Yeah, the, they the owners even be in a
0: home. Yeah, that, well, <laughs> they were in a
1: home. They were in a home with the owner, but they were locked up. You know, like literally I meant, confined, I meant home, like
0: elderly home. You know, yeah. Like. Well,
1: that was that was pretty much it. I just said these owners are aware of what it would take." To lift this now and the responsibility that would come with it, and I said it wasn't even their fault. I said a tradesperson left the gate open, the dogs got out and killed another dog, like a smaller dog, and they were remorseful of it. They made amends with the owner of the other dog. They did all the right things. They paid all the fees. They paid their dues, and that's what I said to these council people. I said what you are doing is is insensitive in in to the highest degree. You know, I said, this is not right anymore. And I said, I'm putting my reputation on this. Lift it. There's no reason to have it on there anymore. These dogs aren't what they used to be. It's kind of like it comes from a great movie, The Shawshank Redemption, when you look at Morgan Freeman as his younger self and his reckless self. And then as an old man, he basically, he's not the same person he was when mm-hmm. he was a young boy, when he made those mistakes. And some of these dogs are not the same dog. And they've, they've made one mistake and they've paid such a dear penalty for it. And the, the owners are so traumatized, it's terrible. It's terrible to see what the the conditions
2: and the stigma that is there's attached to them and that has to follow them round. It, it is yep. a crazy thing that you mm. can like you can literally kill a person, do your time, and the max of that time will be twenty five years and then it's all's forgiven and off you go. Yep. Like everything's sweet. But if your right. dog kills a cat, it's like, no, you'll wear that fucking muzzle forever and mm. you'll live yeah. in that pen for the rest of your life from like it's, it's like a the- it's, it's a like death a scarlet sentence. letter. It's a scarlet letter. Yeah, you wear that forever. Yep.
0: Yeah. You know, I've I've had my experience with dogs labeled labeled as dangerous and usually it's one of those things where like the dogs got out, and especially when there's a size difference between a big dog and a little dog, one accidental, like over exuberant chomp, and now their trachea is crushed and nobody knows that it happened and nobody gets to the dog for a few hours and therefore it dies, right? And it kind of sucks because you kind of also led into a little bit of like the bias too of like, okay, this dog is reactive. This dog is aggressive. That's who they are. Now you believe that that's true, but if you have a reactive dog, I mean, fucking border collies are reactive to sheep, but you don't label them as reactive, right? Like chihuahuas are reactive to doorbells, but you don't label them. (laughs) Right. I know. I'm just saying, right. But it's, it's one of the reasons why when I have reactive dog clients, I'm like, you can't sit there and think about the dog's reactivity and only focus on that. Some of your training needs to be fun tricks that you've always wanted to teach your dog. It needs to be something low stakes. Just have fucking fun with your dog, man, because a lot of times clients get this bias in their head and that baggage that carried over because maybe the dog got attacked by another dog and that's why it became reactive. And now the person has the baggage. So Mm. they get tense. They get uncomfortable when they see other dogs running around and that travels down the leash, all of it travels down the leash. And the, the one thing that I have to teach almost every single reactive dog client is just to breathe and walk and do the work Mm. because it's not their fault that their dog is like that. It's not the dog's fault that the dog is like that, but it is their responsibility to provide the enrichment, to provide the opportunities for that dog to grow and shine and be the best possible dog it can be. Amen. But also accept their limitations, right? Mm. You have to accept the limitations. Beat out, I'm not going to, I could take him to trade shows. And as long as he's focused and playing fetch and doing a routine, he's fine. And if somebody reaches out to him, I will yell at them and be like, do not touch that dog. And I have this commanding presence because of him now. But like, you have to understand that, like, even that was too much to put on him, even though he can do it, doesn't mean he should.
1: Mm. What I think is a fair outcome for a lot of these people, considering we're talking about these offenders with the dogs is. I would like to see a more just outcome where the bureaucrats who are creating these laws are basically saying, okay, rather than put your dog in the backyard where it's going to get no stimulus at all, I order you to go to an obedience club, you know, like an approved obedience club and I order you to do a year's obedience where you have to maintain and also gain certain levels of competency with your dog. I think that would be a wonderful outcome. I think that that should be something that people should look more into the design of something like that.
2: I think for sure. I I mean, there has to be a path to redemption with any sort of punishment, With with whether it's punishment or yeah, well it is, punishment. Redemption through education. There has to be a way to turn it off. Right. Otherwise that's abuse. And so when you're like, Hey man, I've altered my behavior and like, why should I continue to search for the correct behavior when the punishment is persistent, no matter what I do, that's Mm -hmm. abuse. And which is funny because, There are programs like that that I'm aware of, but most councils who would manage that in Australia are very force-free only. So Mm. like the –
1: Yeah, it's a bias.
2: Yeah. Well, and so, you know, the greatest motivator, as I already said, is the avoidance of harm. So imagine that your dog is aggressive – because he's convinced that he will be harmed. And maybe in that fight where he was labeled dangerous, it was a fight that he mm-hmm. didn't start, but he won, mm. right? So now he is that way because he knows I'm avoiding harm. No amount of positive reinforcement is going to change that because if he's convinced I'm alive because I am aggressive to other dogs, I will therefore be aggressive to every dog that I can be. Mm. That ain't changing no matter how many cookies you throw at that dog, right? We have to like, teach an alternate behavior and then when he makes a bad decision, go, hey, come back to here and use like, some judicious use of pressure in that time. Right. And so like, that's kind of the issue is it can then be like a self licking ice cream, right? Mm. Like it it proves itself (laughs) over and over and over.
0: It's Like the dog barking at the mailman, the mailman's always going (laughs) to
2: leave. The mailman's going to
0: come by and go. But the dog thinks they did it.
2: I had a, a really annoying situation recently. I think I sort of talked about it, but there's this dog that I see most mornings on the way when I take Rip to preschool, and it it kind of comes to the fence and sort of just checks us out. And I talk to him every now and again, and I pat him, at him a few times. He's just like you know, sort of bits a dog, but he's real nice. A couple of weeks ago, I'm walking past, and he goes off at me, right? Like mm. a different dog, really aggressive yeah. through his fence. So I stop and I give him the like, hey. We're friends. What the fuck are you barking at me for? And the owner is like yelling at me, like, just move. You're upsetting him. Just move. And I'm like, if you'd like, I can fix this now. Yeah. Right. Because I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to show him like, hey man, we're friends. We, we were friends yesterday. I don't know what the fuck happened to you in the last 24 hours, but like I didn't the do The was
0: standing there.
2: <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, no, but I'm like, hey man, I didn't, I didn't do this to you. Like, and, and within a few minutes he would have calmed down and then been like, oh, you're not the threat that I anticipated. Maybe everyone's not the threat. Right. And, mm. but she's like, just get out of the way. I was like, All right. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Well, good luck with your aggressive dog now. Yep. yep.
0: Yeah. You know, what's funny is like, it's so, because the human brain is so adaptive, it's super easy to normalize things. And I think that's why everybody falls in these traps of like, well, this is the way my dog's always been. So that's the way it's always going to be. And even though it causes frustration and a rift in their interpersonal relationships and in their family, or just stress, it adds an extra layer. Like, there's a dog that lives on the corner of my cul-de-sac that I pass all the time. And there's this perfect little box shaped scuff mark at the bottom of the door where clearly the dog scratches to get in. And 20 bucks says that same scuff mark is on the back because I'll hear him barking from inside when I'm walking my dogs past and sure as shit, two minutes later, that dog's outside. Mm -hmm. So everything he does is reinforced. And I thought about like just dropping treats as I walk by, but I was like, I'd be pretty pissed if somebody did that. So like, I was like, maybe I'll go talk to them and be like, I'll fix your dog if you want. But I don't think they <laughs> want to fix it. Like I think they think he has a perfectly happy life mm. and you know, who the fuck am I to go stomp into their yard and be like, I'll fix this, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, cause they may not want that.
1: Well, I think an element that affects us all to a degree, some more than others is apathy. And I see yep. it that a lot in dog ownership as well Is they want the dog. And then they're, you know, in the first year of life, they're prepared to do anything they will do puppy class and they do a little bit here and there, but then they get apathetic and then they fall back in their rut of life. And then it just is, Oh, like you said, just put the dog out in the backyard. He's been a pain in the ass, barking at the door, just put him outside and yeah, everything is reinforced. And that's why people like us will never be out of work. I used to curse people for it. And I think we've talked about this several times. I used to curse people for it. Now I look at it as, oh, well, you're a client. You know, you're you're feeding my industry and giving, you know, all the people that I've been training over the last 15 years, you're giving all of them work so we don't have to compete so heavily against each other. Yeah. If all that dried up, you know, it'd be like vets. There'd be one on every corner with not a lot of work coming in, but I'm happy for them. Mm.
3: Yeah.
2: Hey, um, Misha all this introspection and finding out about yourself and changes over the last 12 months, Mm. what's changed in your day to day? What do you do daily? That's different. And, you know, we're a dog show. So like specifically in training, you know, other than sort of lifestyle stuff, what is really noticeable when you look at a video of yourself from two years ago and a video of yourself of training today, what, what's different about you?
0: I'm much better. The number one thing I'm much better about being present and not being so reactive to when a client does something that's a little bit irritating, like they don't follow through after weeks and weeks. I am much better at staying in the moment when I'm with my dogs and enjoying their company and not necessarily making everything about obedience. Cause I'm a big lifestyle trainer, right? Like I don't really like setting aside 15, 30 minutes You know, chunks of time to train. I like to just do it as I do it. I like to do it before I give them their food or just do it while we happen to be out on a walk or whatever. But even in those moments, I'm not so worried. Um, When I'm with with a client dog, it's the same thing. Instead of worrying about my next lesson, I can just be there for the dog in the moment and adapt to what's actually happening in front of me as opposed to worrying about what's happening next. Part of that compartmentalization comes from just a, my trauma, right? Like I, you have to compartmentalize your mom's dying at home, but you still have to go to school. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's nothing you can do about that. Right. And I think, um, I'm much more empathetic towards myself. So if I have a bad day or if I'm just, really like something really is just bothering me. I'm much less likely to just shove it in the back end of my mind and come back to it later. Like I'll sit with it and I will be nice to myself about it. And I will allow myself that space to explore it and understand it and not, not necessarily blame myself. Right. So it kind of comes back to fault versus responsibility. It's nobody's fault. The, what, what happened to me? It's no, well, I mean, you could, potentially put fault on others, but it's not my fault for what happened to me, but Mm. I am responsible for how I respond to it every day. And honestly, I'm much happier for it. And I have, I, I bicker a lot less with Lee. (laughs) Um, he doesn't trigger me as much. Um, (sighs) You know, and it's life is just generally better. I also do a lot more breathing exercises, a lot more grounding techniques that I originally learned as like a way to manage my ADHD because I was on medication for years for my ADHD. And I was like, you know what? I think I've learned some things. I think I can try to manage the stuff on my own and not necessarily like fuck up my liver and serotonin levels, Mm. you know, so Cool, man. Man.
1: I really, I'm sure we, we really appreciate your openness and talking about a lot of personal experiences that happened to you. I mean, that takes a lot of bravery to be able to not only confront that, but be able to comfortably talk about it as well because they stir things up. So thank you for sharing. You know, Pat often says that we're a dog training podcast. We are. That's the ethos of what we developed this for. Yeah. But we're also an industry-related podcast as well. One of the big things about this industry is we do our jobs better when we're in control of what's happening in our lives. And when we feel Excellent. better about ourselves, we can be better teachers, better educators. So fundamentally, another part of the ethos of this show is trying to help people come to terms with how to be not only a better person, but a better trainer as well.
2: I think that when you know when you talk about that know thyself, I feel like in, in, in any sort of introspection, I feel like it's such an easier life when you really accept who you are and, and yep. how you – Like, you know when you're watching a fight and someone's like, Oh, I wouldn't have done that. I would have. <laughs> right. You don't know what the fuck uh, you do in that I would have situation? just thrown a spinning yeah. back kick and mm. fucking blah, and you go, no, you wouldn't have. And the quicker you accept that you would have just pooed your pants and got the <laughs> shit kicked out of you, the, the safer yeah. your life will be because you won't put yourself in a situation where you think the spinning heel kick's going to come out, but actually the pants just go brown, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like, I think that <laughs> accepting that kind of stuff, not for me happened <laughs> as, like, I've always kind of been like that because in my old job is it, you fuck up, you're dead, yeah. right? Yeah. Like if you think you're braver than you are, you, are, you, are, you will die, right? Yeah. And so you really accept your limitations and you go like, all right, I don't want to do that. There's got to be another way. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a part where you, yeah. in a much earlier show where you talked
1: about, you know, when explosions happen or loud bangs that, you, you know, like you got shocked and ran away. You know, and I, I respected that you said that because you didn't say, oh, you know, I'm just standing there and I'll, I'll
2: take it. Like you. Yeah. Cool guys don't look at explosions, but I'm a flincher for sure. Like it it happens for sure. Like we people, you know, fight or flight is an instinctive response. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) I I always say to people, I don't care the reaction. I care the recovery.
2: Yeah. And so for me, I'm a flighter. I squeal like a bitch. (laughs) Right? Like, like if you if you hide behind that door and I walk through there, yeah, and you I shock me, you. I'll go like, ah! and then I'll recover and I'll attack. Right? Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like some people don't just just go fucking balls to the wall and we'll knock your lights out. There's a great video. It's one of my favorite ones is it's like at a high school and there's this guy yeah. standing there and they're kind of like mock interviewing him and someone jumps out of a big bin to yep. shock him <laughs> and, he just, and him. he just knocks him the fuck out. Yep. Like doesn't yeah. flinch at all. Well, not Plays me. About. Right? I would have been like, ah, and then gone for the attack. Right? Mm. But yeah. the quicker you know that about yourself, yes. the, because there's a lot of people who have an idea of what they are, especially, you know, like to, to be on another topic, but especially in sort of, war type situations people have you can't create you don't know until you know right and so you can't find that out it, you find out on the battlefield what you're like right and that's one of the issues you know it's another topic but we we'll get into like some of the guys that you'll see like oh, i'm a big special forces ex-special force dude the, the most insanely fit ones are usually the ones that left because they didn't fit in because what happens Mm -hmm. is they're not actually ever tested. The point of the physical side of like special forces selection Mm -hmm. is that they break you down physically to find out Mm -hmm. who you are mentally, right? Mm -hmm. So that the facade falls away. But some of the guys that are so fit, it's, you know, it's unethical and unreasonable and impossible to break them physically. Mm -hmm. So then they're never exposed mentally. Whereas me, like at the kit check, 10 minutes into selection, I was like, I'm fucking exhausted. This is the real me. (laughs) Like like there's no hiding who I am. Yeah. Right. But but so that's kind of some of the issue is you don't know until you are broken down what you're going to do, but the quicker you can sort of learn who you really are, I think Mm. the easier your life gets. And you can then make plans that are realistic. Right. And there's something else on top of that is even though you're,
1: I believe a lot of us, you know, us too. and, And a lot of people that we meet along the way, we're on a journey of, self-improvement. The thing about that is a lot of people really kick themselves when they fall back into a bad habit every now and then or make a mistake. And I think the important point there is you will make mistakes along the way, Absolutely. you know, and there's, and that was one thing that I suffered along the way of my journey to improve myself is that there were times where I'd fall back into ruts of doing things, but then I had to learn to forgive myself for them as well. Because, you know, like even people would say to me, oh, I thought you said you were doing this. Now you're doing this again. Well, Sometimes you stumble. Sometimes you need to re-pick yourself up the ground. So don't treat yourself too harsh when that sort of yeah. thing happens. Understand that, you know, in order to get somewhere, there are going to be times where you you will trip over. And as I think it's a Chinese proverb that says, fall down seven times, stand up eight. That's fucking life. Mm. And that's our dog training yeah. careers as well. And yeah. if at first yeah. you don't succeed, try, try again.
0: Yep. Yeah. I, I think one of the easiest traps to fall into is know thyself can be taken so superficially Mm. yeah i know myself i know that i like to wake up at this time right Mm. there's so many and you can go a little bit deeper than that but still like and and that's honestly kind of what the message was that i want to get across is that like whether you're working with a specific dog whether you think you're you're doing all the right things and and like you said if you're failing and failing sometimes the only way to learn something is to fail
1: yeah and to fail it it is part of the lesson
0: and and you you have to kind of accept when you're sort of just like, oh, that's good enough. I'm too scared to go down or go a little bit further or take my dog a little bit deeper into that crowd or go to that really crowded outdoor mall space to practice because I'm afraid of what might happen. Just fucking go. And if you have to leave, you have to leave. And then you know for sure, okay, I need to work a little bit harder at this. What can I do to solve this problem or to work through it? Or what do I need to understand about my dog and myself? to create the best possible outcome and let my dog be the best possible dog that it can be given its genetic bandwidth. Mm. And like, if you, if you can't do those sorts of things, if you can't accept that, did I tell you about the skirt that I named that I made? I've been,
1: I've been seeing you on Facebook, like playing with your fifties and sixties sort of outfits and the hairstyles and so forth. I've been very amused at all your little cosplay goings on.
0: Yeah, so yeah. I I got into so I skipped bread making in quarantine and I went
2: right to fucking sewing. <laughs> so you read um, that article from that woman who was like, "Stop using all the
0: flour, I need it." Uh. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I I'm not a baker. Baker baking is too like. It's like, it's like physics. You got to have all the, the right ingredients and the right shit. I much prefer stovetop cooking because I can meddle with it. I can fuck with it and I can tweak it. But man, sewing, I, I had such a journey. I'll keep this short because I know we're, we're, we're short on time. But basically when I had a lot of downtime, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I, I've always wanted to sew. I've, I've sewn here and there and done little projects. I took home at classes back in the day, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to make the skirt. And I have never, I swear a lot, if you guys can't tell, no. but I have never sworn as much as I did when I was making the skirt. I have never failed as much as I have making the skirt, but I persevered and I pushed through it. And what I learned was that you literally, some things you can only learn by failing and failing a lot and yelling fuck into the ether. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's all you can do. And, and it was such an impactful and profound thing that I named my skirt um it's, What's its, it's name? Zosha. Which is funny because, like, a fee, in the middle not of not drumstick process, or French fry. Uh, no, or Leroy fuck Jenkins. the food. Fuck the food. Okay, <laughs> that's a curse. <laughs>
3: mm.
0: No. Um. And I was like, oh, you know, it'd be a cute puppy name. Or like, I have a lot of ants named Zosha. It's a very Polish name, mm. right? And, um, I was like, oh, that's a cute name dude to do. And then at the end of it, when I was describing to my therapist, my journey of sewing and all this kind of stuff, I was like, you know what, I'm going to name it. And so I did some research and I was like, let's, let's see what kind of names pop up and nothing really stuck with me. And then all of a sudden Zosha came floating back in my head a week later. And I was like, I wonder what that means. Cause I, I don't know what it means. I looked at it means fucking wisdom wisdom and i was like i can not be more perfect because i am definitely wiser for it and i and i understand myself a little bit better and i understand that just because i'm frustrated doesn't mean i'm on the wrong path
3: boom
1: Mic hey drop. misha just before we do wind up i just want to say that meeting you was a great experience at conference and you were one of the people who made me feel very welcome when i came over to the united states and didn't really know anyone. I mean, the first time I met you, you were pretty much in my face straight away, um, <laughs> which I found really fun at
0: the be- tiki bar. <laughs> yeah. You were
1: like, you know, like you were right over there and and it was like we were long lost friends and we'd known each other forever. And yeah. um, I really appreciate you and I'm glad you're in my life.
0: Thanks, Glenn. I really appreciate that. I honestly, I'm very grateful for you guys. Like, and I really appreciate this opportunity to be on your podcast. Cause I mean, I was listening to Denise Fenzy's episode that my mind was fucking blown. And like, I constantly learned so much from listening to you guys. And I really appreciate y'all y'all having me on the show. Cause this, this has been a blast. It's awesome.
2: I think you're all right too. Yep. <laughs> Long <laughs> time over June. <laughs> <laughs> hey, plug all your shit. Yeah. How do people get in contact with you? Tell um, us about your amazing podcast.
1: <laughs> How, what a way to so, end, what a way to end it. Like we've just had this really deep and meaningful conversation. Yeah. And it's like just plug your shit. <laughs> just go. Just go us, with it. Tell us. <laughs> um, Give us the links. Yep.
0: So uh if you're in Austin, you can go to trainwithcerberus.com and I will train your dogs. I also do Zoom calls as well for 50 bucks an hour. And another great way to kind of get some more information without having to spend a dime is going to uh, look up Super Serious Dog Podcast. My co-host Courtney and I have been doing this for almost a year now. And honestly, Glenn was very instrumental and helpful in heading helping me set it up and make sure that, you know, I knew what the fuck I was doing.
3: <laughs> so
0: I had something worthwhile to share, but it's, it's fun. It's a lighthearted podcast. The original intent was basically me and Courtney were sad that we couldn't see each other during lockdown and we were hiking together and doing all this cool stuff and talking about dogs and so we're like you know what since we can't see each other let's start a podcast maybe other people want to hear and we've had pat and glenn on the show we've had chad Mackin, and i'd like to think we're pretty hilarious so
1: (laughs) i I love the fact that you guys do you (laughs) like you have fun doing what you want to do and you express yourself through your own little media thing so good on you
0: Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
1: Pleasure. Absolute pleasure.
2: All right. That's it. Another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Be specific. Do that in whichever subscription service you download us from. Mm. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon, guys. Get in there. A few bucks a month gets you some extra content. But, yep. you know, you could pay as much as you want if you want. I was going to say Lamborghini, but I've run out of things that people could buy. Jet whisper room. You still want that whisper room?
1: I still want the whisper room. So when Ben's here doing the gardening, we don't hear yeah. in the background all the time, and which frustrates the fuck out of me to no end. Please, Patreon people,
0: buy oh, my way, buy room. my
1: love to a whisper room. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then after that, f- it'll be saunas for everybody. I have oh, a yeah. sauna already. I, <laughs> buy, I know. I pay but for that with my own money.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> but thank one you, for Patreon the people.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: And another way you could support the show is Teespring. Get yourself some cool merch. Maybe some sort of like fanny pack you could use as a dog training. Or a wall uh, Oh, yeah. A, a, a throw rug. <laughs> uh, a beach towel. Do we have throw rugs? No. We've got no more one more time
1: beach towels. Right. Beach towels. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. they do have throw rugs. We could possibly get them done up if people, if there's a high demand. If people <laughs> There say is to me,
2: zero people that would a They will say one day, rug. where's
1: my throw rug? Like, my, you know, it's cold. It's coming in the winter. Winter over here. Yep. I
2: don't think so. Okay. Uh, And if you want dog training advice, post it in the group. That's the Canine Paradigm Discussion Group. Group source information there. We've got some people that really Mm. know what they're talking about, not just dickheads and microphones. But if you want to talk to some dickheads and microphones, info at the canineparadigm.com. All right, Misha, you have to sit here and listen while Glenn plays here the music. Here it comes. While everyone else hits <laughs> stop. Get ready, ba, get your dancing ba, ba, shoes on. While, ba, ba, while ba, ba, everyone else hits da, stop, you have to sit here and listen to Glenn <laughs> play the music.
0: It's honestly, it's my favorite.
2: Thank I'm you. I'm really sad that I'm changing it. But. How dare you talk over it?
0: <laughs> oh, I
3: fucking dare. I know dancing. I can't. Look her.
2: She's dancing. She's getting, her, getting her groove on. <sighs>